Last time we dug deep on this, oatmeal was one of the top worst performing foods in the data set. And I think what's interesting about that is that a lot of people are eating oatmeal because they've heard that it's quote unquote heart healthy. And if you Google healthiest breakfast, like oatmeal is going to be in the top three on every list you look at. And I think that's part of the sort of misguided marketing, or I'm not entirely sure how, but it's in some way, because there is some fiber in oatmeal, it has this reputation. When you actually look at it, it's again, just carbohydrates and it's actually fairly processed. And so they break down very quickly and, and most people will have a very large blood sugar elevation and then a, a crash. And that crash is associated with more insulin release. And oftentimes the sensations of hunger and irritability and, and fatigue that, that I described, and you're looking for your next meal two hours later. So oatmeal is a, a really big one you know, you can dig into the specific benefits of, you know, more processed version of anything. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Josh Clemeni. Josh is the co-founder of Levels, which is the first consumer program that lets an individual know how food and lifestyle choices are directly affecting blood sugar and metabolic health in real time. They pair glucose monitoring with intelligent software to support healthy blood sugar levels. Some early users have included professional athletes, biohackers, the weight loss community, and other health enthusiasts. This chat serves as a great follow-up to the convo I had with Cyrus Kambada on the pod not too long ago, where we dove deep into the topics of insulin resistance and diabetes. I definitely invite you to check that episode out if you missed it. The dialogue today with Josh certainly will touch on these subjects, but we spend quite a bit of time chatting about the incredible technology he has helped to create and the data that has come from it. Josh is also a mechanical engineer and CrossFit level two trainer. At SpaceX, he led a team to develop life support systems that in May of 2020 began sustaining astronauts on trips to and from the International Space Station aboard Crew Dragon, which was the first human-rated commercial spacecraft in history. In our conversation, Josh walks you through his quote-unquote adversity advantage story and shares why he decided to leave working for SpaceX after he experienced a health scare of his own that led him down a path of self-discovery that changed his life and inspired him to co-found Levels. Josh shares the benefits of using a continuous glucose monitor and how it can help shift the way we treat metabolic health issues. We talk about how certain foods affect insulin and how some widely promoted health foods can actually negatively impact blood sugar levels. Josh talks about how exercise impacts your metabolic health and flexibility and how certain types of exercise impact blood glucose levels. Our discussion also dovetails into sleep and stress and how they all play into this equation and what you can do to use them to your advantage. Levels is currently in beta mode and not available to the public, but Josh has created a special page for y'all if you want to bypass the 115,000 plus wait list and purchase one now, in which I will include the link in the show notes. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Josh Clemeni to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Josh Clemeni, welcome to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Thanks a lot for having me, Doug. This is going to be exciting. I'm super pumped to chat with you because, you know, initially when I heard of 
the company levels and continued glucose monitoring, monitoring, excuse me. I was like, does this really work? Like, what's what's the point of all this? And then I thought more deeply into it. And I was like, you know, there's a lot there because typically, let's just say the average person, if they're lucky, they go to the doctor once a year. And they don't really know what their levels of health are like, or they don't know what their, their blood works like. And just say that that day they get their blood sugar tested. And in that moment, maybe it's low, maybe it's normal, but, but throughout the rest of the day, it could have these spikes that could push them in the threshold of being pre-diabetic, having type two diabetes, whatever, whatever the case may be. Or there's also the people that already know that they have pre-diabetes or that they're diabetic and they're pricking their finger, you know, once a day. And again, could be the same thing where they are getting a reading based on that time, but later on in the day, their numbers and, and sugar levels could go way up and down based on what they're eating, based on their movement. And, and I think there's, there's a lot there to unpack because let's face it, um, like 88 million Americans are pre-diabetic right now. And the craziest thing about all of this is that 84% of those 88 million have no idea that they're pre-diabetic, but before we dive into this insane technology that you've helped to create, I'm interested in knowing what made you make this shift into the health and wellness space. When you were working at SpaceX, you were helping, I guess, if I understand correctly, like get spaceships off the ground. So what, yeah. what, what forced you to make that change? Well, yeah, it was, uh, to make a long story short, it was a sort of a patient zero experience. So, um, I, my background is mechanical engineering. I, uh, you know, focused on systems engineering, heat transfer, things like this. I wanted to work on cars uh, and or flying machines. And I didn't think I'd make it to, to be able to work on spacecraft, but um, because I, I learned from a young age how to build stuff and, you know, SpaceX was kind of an underdog in the aerospace world. They needed people who could not just design, but also build. Uh, I had the opportunity. I was, I was early, I joined there in, in 2010, right after they first made orbit. And, um, and so my career was built around scrappy, pulling off solutions to complex problems with scrappy uh, execution and, and working in an environment where we were always very close to, to dying as an organization if we did not achieve success on the next flight. Um, and it was an amazing experience. It got me introduced to the concept of first principles thinking, which is uh, you know getting rid of the clutter and excess around a problem and just solving the core the core you know, sort of function that is necessary in order to achieve success and seeing that in action was really powerful. So I went through, I was about, I was there about six years. And, uh, during the last half, I was able to lead a team that was developing the pressurized life support systems for astronauts. So, um, the, the equipment we were designing is, is that which was introducing oxygen into the atmosphere of the, the vehicle, injecting it into the spacesuits for breathing, uh, making sure that the concentrations and pressures basically the environment inside the spacecraft and the space suits is the same as on earth or as close to it as possible so that people can live. And, and so, um, that was an amazing project. And while I was on it, I, two things were happening. One, I was rapidly hitting a burnout that I had never felt before. Um, every day was becoming more and more challenging to get through both mentally and physically. So I was experiencing these it's, it's hard to describe other than just these symptomatic episodes where I would just need to sit down and catch my breath. Um, and, and by the way, I'm at the same time, I'm a CrossFit trainer. I've played sports my whole life. I've never had, you know, body weight issues. 
I'm someone who thinks of themselves as objectively healthy. So this was not making much sense where I'm in the middle of a work day, I'm walking from one meeting to another and feeling like I need to sit down and wipe the cold sweat off my brow it made no sense. Uh, I'm also experiencing like a lot of irritation and frustration and just general mood disorder. Like my sense of humor uh, over who knows how long has suddenly sort of vanished. And I feel like I'm constantly aggravated and trying to hold my temper. And, and so these things are happening while I'm also in, in you know, sort of the most stressful and uh, important phase of my career. And secondly, I'm being exposed to a lot of information about the human performance uh, approach that, that NASA takes to keeping astronauts healthy. So they have people who are going into orbit sometimes for up to a year and they can't get sick, right? It's just, there is no urgent care. There's no hospital system. You can't get sick when you're on orbit. And the approach there was very much taking a lot of data and building an intentional lifestyle with it. And I came across one paper. And so, so this was, uh, by the way, it was, it was obvious that this was very different from the way I was living my life. It's like, I had zero data that was guiding my decisions every day. I was doing things that I Googled or that somebody else did who was jacked in the gym. It was like, there was nothing that was driven by data. And so finally, the, the piece that really got my wheels turning was I read a paper by Dominic Diagostino, who's a researcher at the yep. University of South Florida. And this paper discussed, it was very explicitly connected to, to my oxygen project that I was working on, where if you're exposed to too much high pressure oxygen, uh, it's a very reactive molecule. It can basically start to, to attack the tissues in your brain and you can experience central nervous system shutdown. And so Dom was studying the effects of a ketogenic diet on protecting rodents in this case from that environment. So by giving them a ketogenic diet, they were able to extend the lifespan of these rodents for up to five times the, the length of time without a central nervous system shutdown. And that was just by feeding them different macronutrients. This, in this case, ketogenic diet, obviously it's a, it's a, a higher fat content. It, it allows your body to produce ketone molecules, which can cross the blood brain barrier and provide energy to the brain. So reading that study totally blew my mind because up until that point, I was a person who believed very strictly in calories or calories and whether it's broccoli or Skittles, the energy content is all that matters. There's nothing else going on. And so the fact that just a macronutrient change, just getting more fat into the diet, basically gave these, these mice what amounted to a superpower was, was earth shattering for me. And I needed to know more. And so I started uh, on the side to just dive deep into the biochemistry and nutritional implications of different dietary approaches. And I started to prick my finger uh, to measure blood sugar because that's the primary energy molecule for most people. And I was feeling these energy fluctuations and I was thinking, huh, maybe I'll find something. Long story short, uh, I would get like a cloud of data in the morning, a cloud of data after work, nothing in between and had, it, it gave me no information. Um, I went to my doctor, I had a bunch of blood work done. Everything came back totally normal, business as usual. Um, a few weeks later, I read a book called Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf. And in it, he discussed this technology called a continuous glucose monitor which allowed you to, to take measurements of blood sugar on an ongoing basis wirelessly. And so this is exactly what I wanted. I was like, that's, that's the missing link. I asked my doctor for one and he flat out denied me and, and was somewhat, um, <laughs> somewhat patronizing in the sense that he, he said, I, I am wrong to want this. Like right. you do not need this thing. It's for people who are sick. Uh, you're not sick. As we know, I took one data point and told you that. And so I came away from that conversation even more confused. Like, why is it that I 
have to ask someone else for access to the data that my body is generating uh, for information purposes. And secondly, why, you know, and this is coming from a systems engineer, why would I wait until something breaks before I start measuring it? Uh, in the world of systems engineering, you design the, the system such that you can measure anything that you don't want to break well in advance and so that you capture the failure mode when it happens and you can uh, ideally prevent it from happening. So uh, anyway, I eventually got a continuous glucose monitor. These, these are devices, um, happy to jump into the tech on them in a, in a minute, but yeah. got myself one. And within about a week realized that I was either pre-diabetic or borderline, depending on who you ask. And this was based on the real-time data that was coming from the device, not the morning fasting glucose prick, which is what my doctor took. Um, and so I went into kind of just, this became my passion. And I, I, I went into uh, changing my approach to, to daily decisions I'm making around nutrition, exercise, sleep, and stress, and was able to completely change my blood sugar control with this little device and realized there's a huge potential here to make this technology the future of wellness and to help reverse the trends of metabolic dysfunction in this country and globally that are driven by uh, people flying blind every day, making decisions that are not driven by data. And so that was, that was kind of the origin. And I think what's interesting is this, this story that you hear from your doctor. Again, I'm not a, a person who's against traditional medicine, but I do think there is a lot of room to incorporate proactive approaches to your health. Like that's what's going to solve this epidemic that we're in, right? This obesity epidemic, this totally. pre-diabetic epidemic. It's going to be um, the result of people taking control of their health, control of their decisions and doing the things at home that are going to better themselves. Because like I said, at the beginning of our conversation, if you go to the doctor, you know, once a year, and if you go to the doctor once a year, which a lot of people don't, and during that one time you get pricked um, to see where your blood sugar is at, that's one time. Again, if you go to the doctor, that's like one minute, you know, one minute out of the entire year where you're going to actually see your blood sugar. You're not counting all the other, the other time throughout that year where your blood sugar could have these massive spikes up and down. And where I, where I think I want to go with the conversation, I want to dive into the tech of this because I invite those who want to get more of an understanding on prediabetes and insulin resistance to go listen to the podcast I did with Cyrus Kambata of Mastering Diabetes, where we went super in depth on this. But I think with you, Josh, I think there's another kind of hack that you have unpacked is this, this ability to track data using a device so you can actually see what actually works and what doesn't work when it comes to um, maintaining uh, healthy insulin levels, maintaining healthy blood sugars. So why is it so important for people to continually track their blood glucose levels in your research and what you've learned versus just getting your finger pricked once a day if you're somebody who has diabetes or prediabetes? Yeah, well, it's a, you know, first of all, it's a, it's really an astute point that we're measuring, we're basically extrapolating all of human health based right. off a single data point that met, represents one instant. It's not even a minute. It's one instant at which we measured your, your glucose. And then we're extrapolating that to your entire health. So metabolism is the set of processes that take our food and environment and turn them into energy. And if our cells cannot do that effectively and efficiently, then we cannot achieve physical health or mental health because our brains and our bodies are made up of cells which require energy, right? So, so this metabolic health layer underlies health entirely. And so the fact that we are extrapolating from single data points is, 
that, you know, in other industries, it would get you fired to do the equivalent. And I'm not saying that I'm not blaming anyone other than just the system itself is not currently providing us enough insight to, to loop back quickly on the medical system. You know, right now we have a burden of chronic illness in our country that far exceeds that 88 million people who have prediabetes over 120 million Americans have prediabetes or type two diabetes, both of which are preventable. And so that's where we need to be focusing. And we're not even talking about the other comorbidities associated like cardiovascular disease, uh, stroke, Alzheimer's disease is being called type three diabetes because of the insulin resistance in the brain uh, that, that accumulates. Cancer has metabolic roots. There's, there is so much chronic preventable illness in, this, in the world that our medical system, which was previously supposed to care for those who had experienced accidents or had terminal illnesses and diseases that were, not, that were uh, communicable, uh, you know, we have now basically pivoted to just treating lifestyle-related chronic illness. And so if you can imagine a world where, um, and by the way, in 2018, the University of North Carolina ran a study that showed that 88% of American adults have some metabolic dysfunction. Um, so if, if you imagine a world where that, the burden of controlling chronic illness or preventing it was not on your doctor, but was actually on you, the individual, and f- physicians could instead focus on the truly non-preventable illnesses, um, and helping those who have terminal illness and, and, and you know, maintaining sort of a, a, a sickness oriented approach as opposed to a prevention oriented approach, we would, we would unlock a tremendous amount in both directions, right? So that's, that's what Levels ultimately seeks to do is to close the loop for the individual between the actions they're taking and the reactions your bodies are experiencing, right? That is the, the end goal is that people learn from feedback. You can't take one data point once a year and figure out what to do for lunch, right? That's what Levels can do. You sit down, you're going to eat a meal for lunch. What are you going to eat and why? Today, most, you know, I ask that question. Most people look at me and give me a blank stare and and say what I would have said three years ago. I mean, I don't know. It's going to taste good. It's going to be something I probably read about on the internet or someone recommended to me. Other than that, I've got nothing. And so um, this is where technology can fill the void tremendously is, is to enforce for people that the decisions you make every day stack up into an outcome. They compound on each other. And it's not just about food. It's also about stress. It's about exercise. It's about sleep quality. But altogether, if we have insight into them, we can start to tease apart the dependencies. And, it, and rather than it being some abstract thing you read about in a textbook, it's, oh, that meal was a, a nine out of 10 for me, or that meal was a two out of 10 for me. And this is based on biological data that I'm collecting in real time. It's, it's a real paradigm shift in how we think about providing advice on lifestyle. We can, we can move away from generalities like, eat healthier and work out more and start specifically saying, you are the type of person that responds well to fruit sugars and you're the type of person that responds well to grain sugars because there is so much individual variability at, at stake. We, it's really hard to provide a one size fits all solution. So, you know, I'm glad you touched on uh, your episode with Cyrus. I thought it was awesome. There's, there's so much nuance again in the individual that I think when it comes down to just saying like ketogenic diet or plant-based diet, it's, it's like, those are tools in the tool set and you, the individual can decide based on data, ideally what works best for you. And I, I'm certainly, I'm not here to say everyone should be ketogenic. I'm not, I eat hundreds of grams of carbs, but the way that I eat them is very data driven. It's mostly fiber. It's always in a mixed meal with balanced micronutrients or macronutrients, including protein and fat. And I, I exercise a lot around those more indulgent meals. And so those are the things that I've learned through that real-time data introduced to me through this device. Yeah, I want to touch on a, an important point 
that you made where it talks about you can't base like your lifestyle based on one data point. I want people to listening to this to, to imagine, let's just say that you had no idea what your weight was unless you stepped on a scale. And let's just say, like, let's just say that, you know, your, your stomach didn't expand, like none of that happened, right? Because I mean, that's typically how we can tell if we gain weight. Imagine if you only go to the doctor once a year, and that's the only time you could weigh yourself. How unhealthy would we, would we be, right? Mm -hmm. we, we would have no clue what our weight was. We'd have no clue what our body fat was. We'd have no clue what our health was like. So, and so I think with this technology, the one thing that really fascinates me, because I like I'm somebody who who likes to be able to track stuff like I want to be able to know where I'm going. I want to know, be able to know where I'm at, because then you can start to see trends. So if you're wearing something like this and it's a patch and you wear it, I believe, on the back of your arm mm -hmm. and you can start to see, like, let's just say, for instance, that you're somebody who likes to eat keto or you're somebody who likes to eat plant based or whatever you whatever nutrition approach you follow. You could say, like, how does it really impact my blood sugar over the course of a week, over the course of a month, over the course of two weeks. And then here's the other thing that I think is cool. Like imagine, like we all hear what stress does to our body and how we quote unquote will gain weight if we're stressed because of what it does to our insulin levels. Now imagine if you're able to track what your blood sugar is like during times of, of stress, and it's going to hopefully fire people up even more to take better care of themselves when they are stressed. So I just wanted to bring that up because I think that was an important correlation for people to, to, to make, because I'm sure there's a lot of people that are listening to this, like, oh, I'm healthy, or why do I even need to bother with my blood sugar? Like, I know I'm in good shape, but you thought that kind of too, based when you were working at SpaceX, and there's a lot of people that have no idea how unhealthy their vitals are until sometimes it's too late. Definitely. Um, you know, there was a, a study in 2015 at the Weizmann Institute. And uh, basically what they did is they put continuous glucose monitors on 800 people. And they, these people did not have diabetes and they, they then had them eat standardized meals over the course of about a week. And at the end of the, the study, they, they showed that two people can eat the exact same two foods. In this case, it was banana and a cookie made with wheat flour. And they can have equal and opposite blood sugar responses to those two foods. So one person spikes on the bananas flat on the cookie. The other person spikes on the cookies flat on the banana. And the implications here are, you know, the human body is not an oven where you put food in and burn it off and the heat turns into energy. We're a chemistry set. And when you introduce chemicals, other chemicals are introduced in response in order to break them down. And those are enzymes. Those are hormones. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a chemistry set. And at the point where you are showing that two people are having the opposite responses to two foods. The implication is that the chemistry that's happening in their bodies is also very different from those two foods. Now we need more studies in order to demonstrate explicitly whether insulin levels are rising at the same rates for the two different foods or whether they're opposite. But at the end of the day, what we can show is that by measuring an output to specific actions we're taking, we can start to become more nuanced about our individual approaches and we can bias away from kicking the system repeatedly. The interesting thing about metabolic dysfunction is that it does not manifest in one way for all people. We have in our minds as a society that metabolic unhealth is something like having a slow metabolism or a fast metabolism, and that you will either be heavy, very overweight if you have a slow metabolism, or you'll be very lean. And, and that that's either unhealthy or healthy. The reality is that some of us do not gain weight. Our, our, uh, you know, what we, what we would call a phenotype, which is the way that our genes sort of express in, in the real world, 
do not bias towards weight gain for, for whatever reason. However, for those of us like myself, never had a, a, a problem with weight gain, but was having extreme, you know, I was having symptoms throughout my life. And most of it was oriented around mental clarity, around fatigue, uh, general malaise. Uh, that was my, the way that my erratic blood sugar and insulin control was manifesting for me. And what's interesting is that my family, we don't have uh, a lot of weight gain or type two diabetes. What we do have is dementia and cardiovascular disease that runs in, in my family. And so understanding more about the nuance of metabolic dysfunction and how it manifests for, for different people has really helped me to embrace the fact that weight is only one of the potential outcomes. And each of us has a responsibility to understand the, the potential outcomes for the choices we're making. And today that responsibility is very challenging because as you mentioned, it's like, I actually like to use a different analogy than the, than the scale. Imagine that you were given a bank account and you're never allowed to check it except once a year. And there are deposits and withdrawals happening all day, every day. And you're told, do not overdraw this account. Otherwise you die. This is similar to what we're doing. We're depositing and withdrawing from this bank account every day, hundreds of times a day. And we're not checking the balance except, you know, one, one second, once a year, it's, it's nearly impossible to balance that equation. And so if we can, if we can increase the amount of information available to the individual in an effortless way and make it interesting, engaging, and actionable, people can start to make better choices for themselves. They don't have to worry about the average person or about society in general. And then once you do that times enough people, you've, you sort of changed society. Um, I want to quickly zoom in on the technology itself. Like you mentioned, it's a patch on the back of the arm. So, you know, for people with diabetes, this, this whole glucose control issue is extremely acute. Um, if you have diabetes and you've lost the insulin sensitivity or you're, you know, if you have type one diabetes, and your body no longer produces insulin, high blood sugar can start to be e extremely acute and it can start to destroy tissues in real time and, and gets very dangerous. So it's very important that you can measure very quickly the, the blood sugar levels that you have in, circulating in your body. And so for that reason, this technology was developed to allow people to wear a little patch on their arm. It's got a small filament that sticks in the skin. And that filament is, is actually interacting with glucose molecules and measuring them directly. And then it sends that wirelessly to your phone. It's a real, it's like a miracle of technology. And it was developed explicitly for this diabetes case. Now we're at the point where the, the, the CGM tech has evolved quite rapidly and has come down in price, has gone up in availability and supply. And it's now at the point where we can start to sort of open it up to this much larger space where it's not just for the management of a condition, but you can start to, to use it to understand the implications of lifestyle. And, uh, and so that's where we are today where, you know, levels is, is building upon that hardware platform, but adding on the layer of insight and actionability to take that sort of raw glucose data and then help you understand, well, what does that mean for lunch? You know, what does that mean for dinner? How well did I sleep last night or how poorly was my, was my sleep due to what I ate for dinner yesterday? Those are the types of things you can tease out with a behavior change platform built upon this hardware. I think it's really cool that you've intertwined like your background in CrossFit, your background, obviously with CrossFit comes, you know, some level of education and nutrition and movement with your engineering background and everything that you learned with, with technology working at the companies that you did in the past. And you've kind of created like a Tesla, if you will, with this, with this app, because it's just got all the bells and whistles to be able to not only change the trajectory of how we manage our blood sugars, how we manage diabetes, stuff like that. But like you said, like our behavioral health, like how we make decisions, our, our self-awareness, 
like how we can begin to learn how our decisions that we make every single day impact our health. Um, I wanted to ask you, I know you're a, you're a data guy and you guys have taken a lot of data with what's worked with people's blood sugar levels. So I know from just what I've, what I've read and what I've, I've learned that managing blood sugar, like, like you were saying this a few minutes ago, is very individualized. But what are some of the like staples of things that you've seen just completely with everybody with just throw off blood sugar levels? And what are the staples that that have helped stabilize blood sugar levels? If you could pick a few. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Paleo Valley. I think I have found a new addiction, and that's the Paleo Valley beef sticks. When I first came across these, I was honestly quite skeptical being that most beef sticks are highly processed, unhealthy, and gross. But after trying the ones from Paleo Valley, I was instantly sold, not just for the taste, but because they are grass-finished, grass-fed, and fermented. Plus, the company is family-owned and accessible, which seals the deal for me. So many people ask, how can I get more protein in my diet when I don't have the time? Paleo Valley has you covered with their high-quality beef sticks, I have even been recommending them to my personal training clients. They come in many flavors, but personally, I am digging the summer sausage and teriyaki. So if you'd like to give one of the best healthy snacks on the market a try, go to paleovalley.com. And when you enter in the code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Again, it's paleovalley.com. And when you enter in the code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Yeah. Um, it's a great question. It's something that we, we write a lot about this on the levels blog, by the way. So there's, there's a ton here. There will continue to be more as we unpack, you know, and get, and get larger and larger data sets. But, uh, you know, we talked about this at the beginning. I'm, I'm someone who eats more of a, a sort of mixed, maybe paleo biased diet. And, uh, I certainly eat animal products and I, a lot of green leafy vegetables, lots of fiber, lots of uh, protein and fat. My co-founder, Casey Means, she's a functional medicine doctor, former surgeon from Stanford. Um, she's fully plant-based. And both of us are using Levels Platform and CGM to develop a lifestyle or a, a nutrition approach that provides balanced glucose for us. And that's the beauty of this technology is that it doesn't pick sides. It doesn't say, you know, the, the CGM will not tell you to be keto and it will not tell you to be plant-based, but it will tell you dependent on your, your philosophy towards life, your dietary philosophy what specifically is working and what is not working. Um, so there's a ton of nuance. You can zoom in all the way down to, to the individuals who are plant-based or zoom all the way out to the entire group. Uh, there are trends, right, that hold for everyone. So just eating straight up sugar is like always going to show up on the CGM negatively, right? So there is no person who can just like pound Skittles and they're gonna be fine. Um, their blood sugar is, you're, you're just dumping so much refined sugar right into the bloodstream. There's nothing your body can do about it. It's really bad. I think we need to, to raise awareness of that, but most people know that where it starts to get interesting is when you're looking at people who are eating, you know, foods that they think are objectively healthy based on what they've learned. And a great example of this is oatmeal. Um, and yet they're getting a counterintuitive negative response. And so, uh, foods like oatmeal, which are just basically refined carbs without, uh, really any balance in the meal there, there are, there's really only one macronutrient there, which is, which is carbohydrate. Um, they tend to overwhelm the system. And so people, uh, you know, last time we, we dug deep on this, oatmeal was one of the, the, the top worst performing foods in the data set. And I think what's interesting about that is that 
a lot of people are eating oatmeal because they've heard that it's quote unquote heart healthy. And you know, this is this, if you Google healthiest breakfast, like oatmeal is going to be in the top three on every list you look at. Um, and I think that's part of the sort of misguided marketing, or I'm not entirely sure how, but it's in some way, because there is some fiber in oatmeal, it has this reputation. When you actually look at it, it's again, just carbohydrates and it's actually fairly processed. And so they break down very quickly and, and most people will have a very large blood sugar elevation and then a, a crash. And that crash is associated with more insulin release. Uh, and oftentimes uh, the sensations of hunger and irritability and, and fatigue that, that I described, and you're looking for your next meal two hours later. So oatmeal is a, a really big one. Uh, you know, you can dig into the specific benefits of, uh, you know, more the more processed version of anything. So if you look at, for example, pressed juice versus whole fruit, uh, you know, when I had one of my one of my largest glucose excursions ever, it was after you know not getting much sleep. I was preparing preparing for a presentation. Went to New York, uh, stopped at a juice cart on the way into a meeting, and got what was called health drink, which was pressed celery, pressed carrot juice, and, and pressed apple. Um, and I drank this during my meeting, and and by the end of the meeting, my my blood sugar had more than doubled. It was over 200 milligrams per deciliter. Uh, for people who who don't aren't familiar with the ranges, unless you're pre-diabetic, you should not exceed 140 after a meal. And so I was over 200 from this pressed juice, which most people would think is very clean, and oftentimes. People are going on juice cleanses thinking that this is going to just detoxify and purge, you know, the bad food they're eating from their system. The reality is that if you eat whole fruits and whole vegetables, you're getting all of the fiber and the matrix that that, that, that carbohydrate that's in the juice is supposed to be suspended in, and that will slow digestion and allow you to process the meal more effectively. And I think we have in society a lot of this sort of, if some is good, more is better philosophy. So if an orange is good, we should, you know, strain out all the pulp and, and drink 10 of them in one sitting. And these are the types of lessons that you can learn very quickly that, you know, that's actually not quite the case. Um, a couple other interesting findings are that regardless of your approach, if you're going to eat more carbohydrates, let's say that you decide, you know, even though I'm a person who has a fairly negative response to uh, flour, if I decide I'm going to eat some bread with dinner, um, we found that the macronutrient order. So if, if you eat for example, a full meal, including vegetables, protein, and, and some fat prior to eating the more refined carbohydrates, uh, that fiber and the vegetables themselves can actually slow down the rate of digestion and improve the rate that your blood sugar elevates and lower it significantly as well as your insulin response. And this is shown in several studies. We've also been able to demonstrate it in our data set. So what I'll do is rather than having the bread first, like most people, I'll have the bread last and it'll be kind of like, you know, at the end of the meal, I'm mopping up the sauce on my plate and it's, it's great. And I also have a much better response. And then in general, uh, the, the secret weapon is movement. So for throughout the data set, and we, we build challenges through the app to help people do this, but when you eat an indulgent meal, we recommend that you take 15 or 20 minutes right afterwards and just take a walk. And the activation of the, the large muscles in the posterior chain pulls glucose directly out of the bloodstream without insulin. And so that is truly the, like, it's the trump card. It's the thing that you can do no matter what to help improve your blood sugar response, even to the most uh, sort of egregious carbohydrate in, insult uh, at any time. And so these are the sort of tactical pieces that for each individual, there will be varying degrees of effect, but they hold for almost everyone. That's so interesting. And I love how you pointed out the movement piece, because I think that's going to be something that 
is going to be crucial for, for anyone looking to make any kind of change in their health. I don't care if it's somebody trying to lose weight, improve their, improve their blood sugar, become uh, more metabolically, metabolically flexible. You got to move your body. Right. And I think what happens is people try to pick one thing without doing the other. Like for instance, people will start working out and they won't change their nutrition or people will change their nutrition and they won't move their body. And you have to do both. Not that you have to go and spend hours at the gym and then go completely plant-based or paleo or going to, to an extreme very quickly. But I think there has to be some level of change in both aspects of, of the health. Right. right? It's, all, it's all context. And these decisions, they stack on each other. So the fact that, you know, as I mentioned, taking a 20 minute walk can completely modify your blood sugar response to a meal. Um, that's indicative of the way that our decisions all blend together. It's not just, you know, it's not like avoid that food altogether or eat that food solely. It's how are you living day to day is you're, you're, you can, uh, you basically have the four big levers, nutrition, exercise, sleep, and stress. That's those all are the lifestyle decisions you're making and they lead to an outcome over time and they, you know, these things compound. And so, for example, you could be eating an excellent diet, um, not exercising often and sleeping terribly or, or not at all. And you can become extremely metabolically unhealthy due to just the elevation in cortisol from not recovering. And then cortisol interferes with insulin and glucose control. And so you can actually induce insulin resistance in people by just depriving them of sleep acutely. So, uh, you know, all of this stuff can be sort of for naught if you're not paying attention to the other legs of the stool. Uh, so that that's like, that's a big piece here. One of the most amazing lessons I learned through CGM was the impact of stress. We talked about uh, briefly at the beginning, but um, it was actually a podcast episode that I was recording and uh, you know, I was not very comfortable and certainly was, was feeling stress and, and my, my blood sugar throughout started to climb. And, and so my heart rate's climbing, my blood sugar's climbing. And I peaked at over 140 milligrams per deciliter, which is typically like above the pre-diabetic response to a meal. And I had eaten nothing. Um, and so that's the effect of cortisol being released, like just being in a fight or flight scenario and having my body basically triggering a, a flood of, of glucose into my bloodstream because I wanted to escape the threat is like sort of what the, the, the prehistoric roots of that response are. Um, but imagine like in a world where you are constantly experiencing stress over and over and over again, and you're triggering these pathways of glucose release and insulin release um, without exercise to, to compensate for it. Uh, you, you're, you're basically triggering uh, the equivalent of a, a very poor dietary approach, kicking the system with, with these floods, and you're going to experience all the qualitative negative effects of a poor diet uh, as, a, as a result, potential weight gain, uh, and certainly just the, I think, elevation uh, and stimulus associated with high cortisol levels, which, which invariably over time lead to I think longer or poor, meta, poor metabolic and cardiovascular outcomes. And so it's, it's really interesting to see those sorts of things happening to you in real time with, with this device. And I want to dive more into the, the non-food related things that can impact blood sugar levels, like exercise, sleep, stress. I'm trying to figure out where I want to start. I, I think where I want to go though, first is to talk about the sleep. But what I want to know is a couple things like in your, in the research, has there been a, a sweet spot as far as quantity of sleep? Because I do know that it's not just quantity, it's quality. And what are some quick hacks that you use in your own lifestyle that have proven for yourself to improve your quality of sleep over time? 
Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's a good question. Some of the statistics are, are pretty interesting to look at related to sleep uh, and, and sort of like metabolic dysfunction. So um, the, the numbers are Americans are sleeping like 25% less on average than, than we were 100 years ago. And over that same time period, diabetes went from less than 1% of the population to almost or just about 10%. Uh, so again, I, I think it points to the same general direction that we're moving, which is that we're burning the candle from all directions. And, uh, and so when it comes to the sweet spot for time, like we haven't honed in on the individual. Uh, I, I think it, it is actually individual dependent, but there, there have been a number of studies which have discussed like um, the, the effects of an acute bout of poor sleep. So uh, one study that, that I touched on a second ago was just they deprived a group of, of good sleep for just a single night. And the next day they had a 40% slower glucose clearance from the bloodstream, right? So that means they basically are 40% more insulin resistant than they previously were. And another study showed that uh, normal weight individuals who like often slept less than six and a half hours per night had, had to secrete about 50% more insulin in order to clear the same amount of glucose out of their bloodstream, right? So it seems to indicate that, uh, less than six and a half hours is, is detrimental. Um, what the exact number is, whether it's that magic eight number or not, I think is probably individual dependent. So for me, I've kind of taken these things to mean that, uh, I should, I should strive for at least seven and a half hours of sleep. That's where I tend to like, if I get less than that, I'll tend to wake up groggy and I'll, I'll see like a bit of an elevation in my, in my baseline glucose. And I certainly, in order to achieve restful sleep, not just, you know, the duration, I try to wind down and, and also stop eating anything within about three hours of my bedtime. And I think that's like the biggest, if I was going to say anything that's worked well for me, it's, it's removing that digestive energy requirement while I'm trying to sleep. So, you know, late night snacking, having late dinners, especially big, big meals after say 7 PM is just, it's going to put me into uh, a very light sleep throughout the first say four or five hours. I won't get into that deep restorative sleep and hit those cycles. So um, that's the, the biggest one I would recommend is just truncating the, the eating time, winding down uh, as early as possible and getting at least, you know, it seems like at least six and a half hours, but ideally closer to that eight, which seems to be, um, you know, what our, our friends at Whoop and Aura and others are, are showing with their wearable data. So are you big into fasting too? Because I've had multiple people on here. Where we've had the conversation on the positive effects of fasting on blood sugar, which might be counterintuitive to a lot of people because they're like, oh, we need food. Like I'm going to have a low blood coop. I'm going to have low blood glucose or my blood sugar levels are going to drop if I don't eat. Mm -hmm. But I think what the research is starting to show is it can have the opposite effect where it can actually stabilize your blood glucose levels over time. Is that what you're seeing with yourself? I mean, do you fast? I, I do not. I, I don't fast. Um, I don't do the like continual sort of time restricted feeding type thing as much right now, but I like to do extended fasts um, certainly a couple times a year. And you know, what's amazing about it is I had a similar uh, opinion about what would happen to, to my body if I stopped eating. And I just assumed, oh, blood sugar is going to continually drop until it's at zero. And then, you know, I, I will obviously be dead. The reality is that your body is built with really elegant machinery to account for this. And so when, when you do an extended fast, and, and I've done this a number of times, you know, say at 72 hours, your glucose has hit just a, a flat line exactly where your stasis point is. And for me, that's something like 70 milligrams per deciliter. And my blood sugar is just rock solid and flat. And what's happened is that my body is starting to produce 
ketones from my, my adipose tissue from my body fat. And it might sound like, Oh, if I'm a lean person, like I don't have body fat. The reality is that a person with 10 to 15% body fat, the average, uh, average weight, 10 to 15% body fat has close to 80,000 calories of fat stored on their body and only about 2000 calories of glucose stored as glycogen. So we, you know, we have a tremendous supply of body fat, even the leanest amongst us. And it's, it's not something where a single day without meals are going to cause a problem. And, and so the mechanism that seems to be beneficial, there's two mechanisms. One, if you're constantly eating, and again, we're, we're that wet chemistry set, you introduce chemicals, other chemicals are being released in response over time. If you're biasing towards say a high processed carbohydrate, low exercise lifestyle, your body's releasing insulin constantly in response to all these carbohydrates and you're not burning it off. So that your glycogen stores are topped up. Your glucose is high in the bloodstream. Your insulin is high because it's trying to get those cells to open up and let the glucose in. And when you remove that stimulus, you remove the, the glucose, uh, your body no longer needs to be releasing insulin. And so it will immediately stop producing more insulin. And then you'll start to tap into those stores. Those, the fuel tanks that are topped off with glycogen, you'll burn that off. And then your body has to kick over to body fat and you'll start to burn body fat. And so you've reached a low for both glucose and insulin in the blood. And that provides your body an ability to sort of like, you know, you've cleaned out the stores and you can start to reset insulin sensitivity. And it seems to be really powerful. People like Dr. Jason Fung, who runs a weight loss clinic that's based on fasting. Um, you know, Dr. Peter Atia talks a lot on his, on his episodes about the benefits and about the other mechanism of autophagy, where as those sorts of autophagy mechanisms kick in, you start to recycle the cells that may not be performing as well as they previously did. Your body is basically selecting for efficiency. And, and so those are some of the benefits that fasting seems to have in the research. And, um, I, I definitely do it because I just feel good afterwards. It, it seems like a really good reset. Um, of course you're going to lose some weight. So, uh, that's the thing for me is I'm trying to maintain weight balance and, and not lose too quickly in some cases. So I don't go super long. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes total sense. And I think like anytime you can, I mean, cause I think what happens is a lot of people, like you said, they have this notion where it's going to mess up my blood sugar levels. It's not going to be positive. I'm not going to be able to produce the right amount of glucose or whatever the case is. And then you actually do it and you be, and because you're, you're tracking it, you're able to actually see raw data on what the truth actually is. Because I think what happens too, it's almost like a placebo effect in our mind where we're, we're thinking that we're not going to be able to have energy or have blood glucose going through our system or whatever, like that's going to play into it. And we're going to spiral out of control. We're going to create stress. We're going to do like all this stuff to our head. And it's going to result in throwing our levels off anyway. But I think totally. when you, when you're wearing this technology, you're wearing something that you're using to track this, you're actually able to see in real time, like, well, what is it doing? Is fasting right for me? Because again, it's um, the individual approach is what's absolutely crucial and all the stuff we're talking about and just really deciding like what's at, what actually works for you. And, and so the, one of the last pieces I want to talk to you about when it comes to managing blood sugar levels and which you've seen in the data is, is exercise, right? Because there's various forms of exercise. And obviously as a trainer, I, I would like people to engage in, in all forms of exercise to some degree that fit their plan, whether it's, you know, resistance training, cardio, yoga, you know, stretching, Pilates, wh whatever works in their schedule. But if you have you seen, generally speaking, that one like trumps the other when it comes to properly managing glucose levels? This is an area of like maximum interest for me right now is that there's there's such an un it, it's really an unstudied space. 
um, of the, the biological responses to different exercise modalities. And so I am somewhat of a hyper responder to whatever exercise I'm doing. And what I mean by that is like, there are two main thresholds. There's, there's like aerobic exercise where you're mostly running on, you know, you require oxygen and you're burning a lot of fat. And then there's anaerobic where you're sort of at the top end of your output and you're burning just glucose and it's an inefficient process. Um, so I've seen that if my blood sugar or sorry, if my heart rate is above about 85% of my max heart rate, uh, my, my glucose will actually start to spike dramatically. And the reason for that is that I'm, I'm in a stressed state. My body is like activating those fight or flight pathways, dumping in cortisol and epinephrine. And that is introducing, it's, it's telling my body to produce more fuel for this workout. Uh, this is an intense effort. We gotta, we gotta survive it, produce a ton of fuel and my blood sugar, you know, I've actually been able to in an intense CrossFit workout, exceed 200 milligrams per deciliter, uh, wow. blood glucose. Now, and I'll loop back on that in just a sec, below 85% of max heart rate, which would be more aerobic, I see the opposite. So my glucose will just gradually decline and I can actually bonk. So I can watch my glucose just decline, decline, decline. And then suddenly I get symptomatic. I get that shakiness. And if I don't take on some, some fuel, I'll, I'll actually bonk and feel no energy and kind of crash. And it's absolutely fascinating because we have other people on our team, you know, my, my, uh, one of the early team members, Mike is, uh, you can follow him on Instagram, but you'll see that he will do like a fasted marathon where he fasts for 18 hours and then he'll run 26 miles and heart rate below 85%. Same thing. His glucose is rock solid flat, no wow. dip like I do. He doesn't bonk. And so, um, for me, like I just don't have, I, I think I have not trained those metabolic flexibility pathways the way that he has, and I don't have the ability to do so just yet. I need to work my way up there. To, to loop back to the high intensity stuff, because that blood sugar is spiking, a lot of people assume, oh, that's bad for me. You know, that must be, if, if high glucose is bad, I need to avoid that. The reality is that it's very, very different physiologically to have a blood sugar response from an intense workout where your body is producing glucose to fuel your, your, your muscle effort than it is to have a blood sugar response to a meal that you're eating. So totally different. The implications for health are very different. And actually that high intensity interval training that causes glucose elevations is associated with short-term and long-term insulin sensitivity. So after you finish that workout, your body is going to use insulin more effectively than before it. And that, that effect lasts for multiple days and over time seems to stack up into, into much better whole body insulin sensitivity. So it's actually a very healthy thing. It's just that that acute response for some of us like myself can get higher than you'd expect. And, and for others, they don't have those massive elevations. So all this to say, um, I think exercise is explicitly healthy and people should be doing it. It's possible to overtrain. Don't push yourself way too hard. But for most of us, overtraining is not the problem. It's undertraining. And so any movement is better than none. And we'll all see different sort of nuanced responses. Eventually we will be able to target like what is best for you, I think. But today we, we just don't know enough. That's super fascinating because I think what you're saying is when you're anaerobic, right? Your blood sugar levels are higher, which honestly makes sense in a way, because if you think about the foundation of like muscle growth is glucose and glycogen. Mm. So that would make sense that when you're taxing your muscles like crazy in an anaerobic way in the short term, that your body is going to need to produce more glucose. Totally. Just the physiological effect of it. Right. And that's how you build more muscle obviously is by, by doing that kind of training. And then the opposite would kind of happen if you will, when you're more aerobic, like you, mm -hmm. you mentioned, um, you know, one of the, the people who was early at one of the guys who's early on at levels, Mike, um, when he was running the marathon, his levels kind of stayed fairly consistent, but he was running a marathon. And so he was more aerobic. 
Um, and, and so I think that the take home message with the last, you know, few minutes of our conversation, you know, we were talking about stress and sleep and nutrition and exercise is that in order to control our blood sugar levels, the, one of the big things we can do is take care of our stress. And this includes the way we eat. It includes the way we sleep and it includes, includes the way we move our bodies that will all help to reduce our stress levels. And while there's going to be certain things that pop up throughout the day that are going to increase our levels of stress, just as a byproduct of life, these are all things that if you can, can just control these three essentials, your stress or your, uh, your sleep, nutrition, and movement, it'll help mitigate a lot of that. So mm -hmm. the last thing I want to talk to go into for a few minutes is, so say somebody wants is interested and they want it to, to try this. They want to get a CGM from levels. Like what pops up on the app? Like what can people expect to see when they, when they're using it? And then how can people get one if they want to? So today we're, we are early as a company, we're still in what we call our beta mode. So um, still developing the software. We do have a, a finite number of invitations per month where we, mm -hmm. we get people in to experience it, but we're, we're pushing towards our full launch uh, a little bit later this year. So definitely like on the website, we, you could sign up for the wait list and, and we bring people in uh, from, the, from that into the beta. And then eventually you'll, you'll have access directly once we can launch it. What, what Levels does today is it's very much about what we're calling metabolic awareness. So helping people understand the reactions to the actions they're taking, which is the first step. It's educational. It's, it's rather than trying to tell you do this, not that it's more so here's what happens when you do this. Right. And, and so, you know, today it's, it's all about connecting you with intelligent scores to the, the choices you're making. So whether that's uh, eating a meal and sitting on the couch and then eating that same meal the next day and going for a walk, you're going to get scored on how your body, how your blood sugar responded to that choice or series of choices. And those scores will help you understand explicitly what, you know, where the benefit lies. And then you get um, things like prompts and insights about trying different challenges, say to compare brown rice to white rice to understand the effect of fiber or press juice to whole fruit. Uh, you can then compare meals and I identify like the degree of difference between uh, different responses. And then you get scored on your entire day. So you get these zone scores for the activities you, you, you select, and then you get the whole day scored, which is our metabolic score, um, which really helps you understand, you know, tracking in a, in a longer term sense, how, how you're improving or evolving day by day. It's similar to something like a recovery score for a sleep tracker. And, uh, and so that's, that's like what, what you would experience today in the app is you'd be able to look at the glucose, you'd be able to uh, add logs for your lifestyle, nutrition, exercise, and sleep. Um, and then the, uh, you get those scores to help you sort of follow along with, with, you know, where the lessons are and, and how to, how to make different ones and explore the boundaries of how your body works in the future. We'll, we'll be much more prepared. I think as the, you know, because we're some of the first to be doing this, we're, we're building the world's largest data set on this specific sort of glucose information tied with lifestyle data. And so we'll be able to be much more explicit about, uh, okay, now that you have metabolic awareness, here's what to do if you want to achieve X. And so, um, that's, that's the future we're heading towards. And people are definitely going to want to be going to, to level health levels, health.com to kind of join the wait list and, and be able to get their hands on one of these when it becomes available to them. And this is super fascinating. And I think people who are listening to this, you're going to want to check this out. And maybe it's not for you, but just be aware of the wearable technology space because it is a thing. Aura Ring, Apple Watch, Whoop, Apollo Neuro, Fitbit. Like these are all things that I think are here to stay because people, when it, when it comes to life, when it comes to their health, when it comes to 
business. Like they like to be able to track things. They like to be able to see where they're going and you can track where you are with your finances. Why not track where you are with your health and, and levels is, is going to be, is one of those things that you can actually use to not only check where you're at, but use it as a tool to improve your overall health and improve your blood sugar levels to see how you respond to different levels of exercise, stress, that sort of thing. So Josh, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. So if people want to check the, check out more about levels, it's levelshealth.com. Where else can people find out more information? Well, you know, the, you know, the, the levels product is we, we, we call it the first bio wearable because it's, it's not just, um, you know, measuring sort of heart rate or, or something superficial to the skin. It's actually measuring a molecule in your body. So it's sort of a paradigm shift on in the wearable space. And, and a lot of that, like seeing that is really visual. And so I definitely recommend people follow us on Instagram at levels and on Twitter as well at levels. And then the, the blog, which you can get to right from that homepage levelshealth.com. Uh, we, we put a, a huge amount of effort. It's one of the core functions at the company into our educational and content materials. So if you want to learn about uh, not just glucose, but also all of the cellular machinery and why it's relevant, both uh, to, to the population abroad and to you specifically, I would definitely recommend the blog. Sweet. I will make sure to plug all that stuff in the show notes. I will put the Levels Twitter page, Levels Instagram, and then Levels Health website along with a separate link for the blog. Y'all are definitely going to want to go check out this this product, check out levels, dive more into Josh's story, which I think is incredibly fascinating. And what I want you to do, just like I ask with, with most of these episodes is if there was a takeaway, maybe it was something Josh said about blood sugar levels, something about sleep, stress. I want you to take a screenshot, tag myself, tag at levels with a takeaway or something that you're going to do today to improve your health. Maybe you, you join the wait list and you want to kind of tell us that this episode inspires you to do so. Whatever it is, we'd love to hear feedback. And uh, we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.